You are listening to an American Theater podcast. American Theater is a publication of Theater Communications Group. www.americantheater.org. Hi, I'm Deep Tran, editor at American Theater Magazine. I'm Jose Solis, a freelance theater critic, and we're your token theater friends—people who see too much theater and want to tell you if you should go see or avoid certain shows. What is up, Jose? You, you're looking very fuzzy today. Well, people can't see me, but this is our Christmas episode, so I guess I wanted to look the part. And we are talking about two Christmas shows today. And one that's not very Christmassy, but we'll make it work. Yes. First up, we're talking about all is calm, playing at the Sheen Center. Then we are doing the making of King Kong, playing at the Doxy, and we're wrapping up with James Joyce's The Dead, nineteen o four, playing at the American Irish Historical Society. Yeah, and Jose is wearing a red fuzzy sweater. And speaking of Christmas, we have an interview with Broadway star Telly Leung, who is currently playing Aladdin on Broadway. Very exciting! And he has a new single out, a cover of what's the song, Jose? Mariah Carey's iconic "All I Want for Christmas Is You." And he he put his own spin on it, so you know, don't don't expect the Mariah riffs, but it's. Very beautiful. Only Mariah can give you Mariah. Exactly, exactly. And at the end of the show, we're giving you recommendations on what you should get your family that's theater related, because shopping is difficult. And if you're shopping for theater people, you can't buy them a show. Like, what, what do you buy them? Questions. But your family, also your friends, your significant <laughs> other, your coworkers, and yourself—not just your family. Mm-hmm. Ho ho ho. Ho ho. <laughs> Okay, well, let's start with. Uh, are, wait, are we doing which? Are we doing cheaper first, or are we doing expensive first? We can do whatever. Okay, so let's start with our expensive show for today. What did we see that cost a thousand dollars for a top tier ticket? James Joyce's The Dead. This is the third year in a row that the Irish Rep is bringing this show to New York, and it's an immersive. Adaptation of the James Joyce novella, adapted by Paul Muldoon and Jean Hanf Corellitz, and it's basically a Christmas party set in 1904. And you go to the American Irish Historical Society, right across the street from the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and it's 1904. And you're in Dublin, and there's people coming together to celebrate the Feast of the Epiphany, which I did not know. Was when the three wise men arrive. Oh, look at that! Yeah. I was not religious growing up, so that's it's good. January sixth. So ah. in Spanish, it's in Latin American culture, it's called Dia de Reyes, literally the Day of the Kings. But mm. anyway, so as this group of people are coming together to celebrate the Feast of the Epiphany, they're singing, they're dancing, there's lots of drinking. But then suddenly, the more people drink. The more they're haunted by the ghosts of lovers lost and disappointment, and basically, good old-fashioned James Joyce existentialism mm -hmm. with Christmas decorations. Mm -hmm. So the immersive show—you show up, and in a way, you 
audience members are kind of like the ghosts. Like we're there, but we're not supposed to be there, but we're moving and we go from room to room. Then we sit with the characters as they're dining. And what Deep mentioned about the $1,000 tickets is you can pay $1,000 to sit on the main table with people like Melissa Gilbert and just listen to them. Mm-hmm. And you eat. can, yeah, and talk to them. You can talk to them during the show, which as a theater critic, that kind of terrifies me to talk to the actors during the show. So I don't like to do it. So I'm glad they seated us in the far table. But I mean, they're always in character. So what's yeah? What's what scares you about talking to them? It's, not even, it's just awkward, you know. Because there's only because so, I think I've seen enough immersive shows now where I'm just like I know it's a character and I know there's a limit to what I can actually say to you because otherwise I'm just making you work harder. So I just try. I'm, I'm a nice person. I just try to be not annoying. And so they asked me, oh, how, how are you doing tonight? How's the food? I'm like, oh, it's fantastic. I've never had figgy pudding before. I try to make it as innocuous as possible. I like pretending when they asked me how, oh. I was, how, uh, how I was doing, I said, I'm a poet and I'm a friend of the lady of the house. Wow. You get into character? Of course. I mean, where else can we do that? I'm not an actor and people are drinking. And as you basically, as you walk in, they give you sherry and whiskey. So... There's lots of booze in this show. Yeah, that was a big highlight for me. I do like booze at my theater. But uh, wait, so... And how the actors react? They just like did the same thing they did with everyone else. Like, <laughs> exactly. Oh, so lovely to have you here. And then they moved on. Right. I mean, what do you think the immersive element added to the show? Because I feel like I feel like for immersive theater, like it, beco- it becomes too much of a... It's become too much of a gimmick where you just make it immersive in order to get people in the door because people want, you know, experiential things. They don't want to just sit back and watch. And so you sometimes there are immersive shows that don't need to be immersive. It doesn't, the form doesn't, the content of the show doesn't call for it. And it was odd for me because at certain points, the immersive form worked for the show and at other points it didn't. And I think, like, your role as an audience member changed throughout the show. So sometimes you're a party goer, and other times you're just supposed to sit there and watch them talk. And so I I had kind of mixed feelings about how it all worked and what I was supposed to get out of it. Like, what do you think? I'm a sap for anything Christmas-related, so I loved it. I thought I enjoyed moving around, because if you're drinking, Mm -hmm. it's good to move. And I enjoyed just, like, how happy audience members looked. Mm-hmm. You don't when you're in theater and when you're in a traditional like uh, proscenium performance, you don't get to see the joy in your fellow audience members' faces, and I really appreciated seeing how happy people were to be there at the dead, and how some people would blush when the actors would talk to them, or some people would just like it was just just the experience of sitting with people and listening to beautiful dialogues coming out of the actors while you're passing around like mashed potatoes and like turkey and figs and then you end up eating pudding and then you're toasting with the characters i just thought it was beautiful i thought it was a perfect christmas experience except for the fact except for the end when they start talking about the things that they lost and it gets really somber real fast i liked parts of it but i don't think it coalesced into a whole 
because you're supposed to there's supposed to be like a melancholic feel throughout the thing because like at at, at points like they are, you could sense that there's something there's a little bit of tension underneath but because it's a party and you and you as an audience member like you're not able to really focus on what the story is here it's it's easy to just be swept up at the in the party aspect of it and so for me i was swept up in that and then once it got kind of dark it was kind of a surprise and i didn't really feel like it fit the rest of what had preceded it Mm, not for me. I think mm-hmm. if you know that it's James Joyce, you know you're not in for like a comedy. You're in for something moody and dark. So what I appreciated about the last part of the show, when it takes that turn and you end up moving to a different part of the house where you don't even, I don't think you even know you're allowed to go there, mm-hmm. but you end up going there. And it's like when I think the show forces audience members to develop empathy because we see a lot of times in fiction when you know especially in like holiday themed shows or movies or art where it's always just like a bunch of white people yelling at each other and like crying over how they were treated in their childhood and why they don't get along with their siblings and why they don't love their parents and that kind of stuff and it usually always ends up with like a little like everyone, you know, like in the family stone, for instance, or all those like movies, there's always like a problem. And then everyone makes up in the end. And I appreciate it that in the dead, that doesn't happen. We just see people leaving. And when we are allowed to follow two of the characters and we get to see the effect that the party and the memories and definitely the booze is having on these characters... I just thought it was beautiful. It was haunting. And I think about it. I've been thinking about it a lot. And I saw this show almost like a month ago, I would say. And really? I haven't okay. stopped. Yeah. And I haven't stopped thinking about it. Also, Melissa Gilbert's performance is just so exquisite that, uh, you know, like just and going she to play? see her. She's the main character. I forgot her mm-hmm. name. Um, <laughs> she's the main, the leading character. She's the person we follow upstairs. Right, well, with, yeah. with her husband, with her husband. The right. thing is, I didn't get the sense of her as a main character, though. I got the sense of her husband as the main character. I'm sure that if you talk to different people, <clears throat> they're going to think that different people were the, sure. the main character. So for me, it was Melissa Gilbert's character. Because like, even though it was such a thing of beauty, I was sitting right behind her at the dinner table. And when the, the, the actor who plays her husband was giving this like big speech, you know, being like the guy and all that, mm-hmm. just seeing the subtle way she, you know, like her performance is so full of nuance, like even just the way she put her fork down or how she just like caressed the, the arm of the, the mortal sitting next to her, like the real person and the character <laughs> sitting next to her. The muggle. Yeah. Those things, the way she does that. I just thought it was exquisite. I couldn't keep my eyes off of her. Oh, well, I couldn't see her because she was on the other side of me. Oh, well. She, she was looks- blocked by other act- by other actors. And, and um, yeah, so I think that's part of why I didn't really get a sense of her as a main character because I was in close proximity to her husband. Uh, Rufus Collins plays uh, her husband. No, but the thing is, that's why I felt like I didn't get as much as you did because like the focus of where I was standing, it didn't... Like, where I was standing in proximity to the rest of the actors, like, I wasn't getting what 
what the story or the feel of the party was supposed to be or where exactly the, the tension was. I just got a feeling like there's a party and I know it's James Joy, so I know that there's something d- deeper here, but I, I'm not really able to place it right now. And so the last part came as a surprise because I feel like I just missed a lot, missed some nuances in the first portion that by virtue of me not being in the right place, because it's an immersive theater experience, I kind of missed it. But I think if you do go to this, you'll still have a good time only because, like Jose said, it's uh, you're having dinner with actors. And it's it's like the fanciest holiday party that you probably would have gone to this year. And then you leave at night and the Met is right there in Central Park. And for a second, you kind of believe that you went back in time. And especially these days, that kind of escapism, uh, I find it just like something invaluable. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially in terms of holiday shows, if, if you're not a fan of the usual holiday shows, Grinches and Quick Carols and stuff, like this is definitely recommended in terms of, I, I do love a, a, a good melancholic holiday story, you know? So I appreciate that. I appreciate this for that reason. Amen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, speaking of melancholic holiday stories, Jose, why do we pick all the sad holiday shows? Because Christmas is melancholy at its at its center. All the best, if you think about it, all the best Christmas art is so sad. I mean, a Christmas Carol is about freaking ghosts. It's true, but most of the time they play it way too happy. But the original was very much about the thing things that you that are gone. Yeah, like some of my favorite. I mean, like songs like White Christmas, which is. I, I, the most popular single of all time. Mm-mm. It's a pretty sad song, and like "Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas." It's so dark. Yeah, uh, my favorite holiday song that has not traditionally been a holiday song is "River" by Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Well, Joni <laughs> Mitchell's always depressing. So exactly, why are you talking about your exactly? I so I think we're just really sad people, Jose. We don't like. Uh, we don't. <laughs> No, I don't. I, I'm not a sad person. I just really appreciate art that's full yeah. Of well, I think, but well, I, I I think like you know these these times, especially if you're far away from your family, it kind of makes you think about your values and you know what what is important to you and what you miss and what you haven't been able to do. I don't know. I do a lot of thinking about my own life during the holidays. Oh, well, that's depressing. I'm just like, I just love existentialism. That's all I'll say. I love existentialism <laughs> and I love eggnog and the smell of cinnamon. So I love Christmas. Existentialism and eggnog. See, that is an ev- that is a party. We should have that party. It's my, my one-man show coming Ex- next season. <laughs> Uh, the Dead is running until January 13th, 2019. So you can even see it after the holidays. Uh, you Tickets are 150 to $1,000. $150 will get you booze but no food. $1,000 will get you really close to the actors if that is your jam. I think we should mention that the menu is inspired by literally the menu in the novella. Mm-hmm. And I thought the food was fantastic. So. Oh, yeah, the food was really good. But if, if you're a vegetarian, you won't get many options. I'm sorry. Because there was a, there was a gentleman sitting next to me, and he couldn't and, they, yeah, and, and he we, couldn't eat anything. He he could only eat, like, the nuts and the vegetables. And the oranges and the yeah. fruits, but, mm. Anyway, and speaking of sad holiday shows, 
We on our next show for the holidays that you can take your family to is called All is Calm, the Christmas Truce of 1914. It is written and directed by Peter Rothstein, and it's currently playing at the Sheen Center. Uh, fun fact, this isn't actually... A theater latte da production, which is a theater in Minneapolis, and so they sent they sent it all the way over here. So good for them! Bravo! I know. And the the show is a ninety minute choral piece with a, with some costume changes, but it's set in World War One in the trenches, and it's Christmas of nineteen fourteen, where the Germans and the English they have a they call a truce for one night, and they sing songs and take photos with each other before killing each other again the next morning. But for one night, they put aside their differences and and trying to like find each other's humanity over Christmas. I just thought how sad it is to imagine that some of the fictitious characters from the dead might be in the trenches and all is calm, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the younger ones, definitely. Oh, that's so sad. Or maybe because they were wealthy, they wouldn't have to. But then the wealthy people were like generals and like majors, and I don't know, like the presidents uh, of the army. I don't know. I don't know anything about uh, army. Yeah, ranking. well, in the war, it's mostly poor people who die. The wealthy people don't sit in the trenches. Well, thank you. The for generals the, don't sit in the trenches. Even sadder context mm-hmm. to all of this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the singing is great. Yes. The singing is great. The men are good looking. Okay. It's all white dudes, which is one of those times when I'm just like, does it, did it have to be, though? Did it have to be? They would probably claim like historical context. Exactly. But there are black people in England at the time who fought in the trenches. And probably were the first ones being killed. Exactly. So, yeah. It's not an excuse, but uh, I, can't, yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, but and, and the songs are a mix of, you know, Christmas songs and also the contemporary um folk songs from that period. And the there is some wonderful work that's done with um with just props because they all they're all just wearing like the one costume the entire time, but when they need to switch from English to German, they just put on the hats. <laughs> with the German hats with the little stick on top. The whatever it is that's called. A German I, and I quite like this. It was a. It was kind of like being in church. Like it feels like because it's so atonal most. Of it, and, uh, it's like one tone the entire time. It's like listening to choral music for like for like ninety minutes. At some point, I have to admit, for me, I kind of. I, I just kind of sat back and just like listened to them singing and didn't really listen like to what they were singing about. Because it was just so pretty. And it was also after Thanksgiving. So I was like really... Uh, I was still in the food coma. So that maybe had something to do with it. I don't know, Jose. What did you... What, did you, what are your thoughts? This was a show where very much like... The Girl from the North Country. The Bob Dylan musical. I thought would have been better as an album than a show. Because... You know what? It was kind of dull. Like, the singing mm-hmm. was beautiful, and it was only, like, under 90 minutes. I think it was more like 80 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. But after a while, I was like, is this going anywhere? And it was very, yeah, it was just one note, a very moving note, but it was only one note. Beautiful note. And 
Yeah, I think it could have done. It could have. I don't know. There could have been a little bit more going on. It's you know it checks all the boxes for what like a holiday show should be. It's warm. It makes you feel fuzzy. It has this like beautiful message. It has great music, but also, and this is my personal bias. Like I get so bored with stories about just men, and like I want. I would have loved to see this show maybe from the wives' point of view, like when they were home. I know that's a whole different show, so whatever. Don't listen to me. Something else that I kept thinking about was how much I liked the movie Jojo uh, Noel from 2005 by uh, Christian Carion, which is the same story. Mm-hmm. And in movie version, it just moved better. It was more engaging. Like in this one, I can imagine people bringing in their little kids and the kids just falling asleep while they're listening to the man sing. Yeah, it's like it's more of like a take your grandparents kind of show. Don't take the kids. <laughs> <laughs> you you pointed out something great about the show, which is like it is a very it is a your traditional holiday show. And as actually it kind of touches on the reason why I don't tend to go for holiday shows just because as we established from talking about the dead, I I am an existentialist, and so I question why things are the way that they are. And the only time this show even has a mention of that of that is when is there's a line about oh, what if the soldiers just stopped fighting? Like, would the war end? And in me, as the audience, I wanted to just shout. Yes, it would. That is part of the problem that we are all causing the machine and we just go along with it without questioning it. And the way this, the, and I think the show, it, it touched on like a really sad topic, which is the fact that th- this beautiful thing happened. Like there was a truce that happened. And then it just, the fighting went on for two more years and millions of people died and they just kind of brushed over the fact that that's a thing that happened because people instead of questioning why is why do we keep on circling back to destruction why can't we learn to look past our differences i'm not asking for an answer i'm just asking for a better discussion of that than what i was given because it was a holiday show so therefore you cannot ask about the nature of war and peace and life and death and the military industrial complex you can just you do, you have to wrap it up in 75 minutes because everyone has to go home to eat their ham or something yeah, there was no questioning whatsoever. I think that the show makes a, you know, delivers a pretty clear message that war is a choice. And I think this show had to be political. And the fact that it chooses to be so apolitical and just like, look at us, we're all the same and we're happy and we're going to sing. Until it, we start killing each other again. But it doesn't say anything beyond that. And the choice for this show to not be political when at its very center, the story of Christmas, whether you're a Christian or not, I mean, we're all like, we all know what Christmas is, right? And it's basically a story about how two people had to flee and become refugees and had to have a baby next to a cow because people wouldn't be kind to refugees. And that is political. Like we're seeing what this country is doing to refugees today. Mm-hmm. 
and for all its calm to be so calm was not okay. It was cute, but you could do better. Yeah. And I think just because it's a Christmas show doesn't mean that you can't leave the audience with a sense of things being unresolved or things or life not being perfect. Like the audience can handle something that's a little bit challenging during the holidays. It doesn't have to just be happy. Holy shit, we're cynical. Yeah, we are. Because we're immigrants and refugees. Yay! That's why we're friends. Before we depress our listeners, we should say that All Is Calm is running through December 30th, and all tickets are $51. If you want great singing, go there. If you want like a recreation of All Quiet is on the Western Front, maybe go to the library. But that movie's so good, and the book is so good. Okay, no, okay, okay, fine. We go. Yeah. Hey, I'm trying to get people to read books here. Yeah, go. Yeah, all, yeah. That's such a great movie. Yeah, maybe, that's, it's such a great book. But the movie's also incredible. The book's great, but the movie's also so good. Anyway, <laughs> maybe go do one of those. And, yeah, I don't know. Okay, uh, our final show is King Kong again, except not really. Because it's off off Broadway, and it's the making of King Kong, a new play by Lisa Clare, which seeks to uncover everything about <laughs> the monster behind the monster. Mm-hmm. So which are the people? Because people are terrible. It's always the people. It's always the people. So the show's a very liberal imagining. And a re and it's not even reenacting because everything's imagined mm-hmm. about what might have happened during the making of the 1933 movie classic. And I was drawn to this show because Molly Pope, who's just a freaking sensational, was playing Faye Ray. And the show is a multimedia experience that mm. takes us behind the scenes to deconstruct Hollywood politics during that era, which unsurprisingly haven't really changed that much. And also the way in which, yeah, Hollywood's just so full of bullshit and just like macho nonsense. (laughs) And it also touches on things that the Broadway musical didn't touch on, like racism. Lots and lots and lots of racism. So much racism. Yes. Uh, first off, I have to say uh, that the set was fantastic. Okay, one one of the things I love about Off Off Broadway that it does better than actual Broadway sometimes is like layers. The, it's the layers of set because most of the time you think of a play and you're like, oh, it's just one set. It's not that. It's not that special. But no, this play has multiple layers and they fall down at one point. You see that there's more behind it, and I love it when theater does that and surprises me in that way and i and also i just love like set pieces coming down in a destructive manner it makes me happy so caitlin ayer thank you for that uh, what okay i, I don't want to spoil how the making of king kong ends but i was thinking about it in relation to king kong the musical and i think because last time we were discussing like how it's kind of inappropriate to to be doing king kong right now because it's such an old colonialist tale, and how do you, and you really can't do it straight without being kind of problematic. And so I think the making of King Kong kind of solved that problem in a great way for me. 
in that I feel like in 2018, the only way you can do a King Kong that actually defeats colonialism is to have Kong survive in the end. And, you know, maybe take a shit ton of people down with him. But and maybe Mary and Darrow. Okay, okay, wow. Wow, we're going there. I mean, interspecies marriage is obviously <laughs> not a thing. But if this show was a farce, it wasn't to be mm-hmm. taken at. I mean, King Kong itself is a fantasy, so mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. But this show was a farce. And it, you know, they invent all like how the natives in the island are these like yoga, white yoga moms who moved there and are doing like chanting and all like. It, they were basically characters out of like a goop newsletter. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I will say, though, what was really confusing to me, because I, I expected, you know, the making of King Kong to be about the making of King Kong. And then it goes into like a fantastical place where the uh, where the creators of King Kong, like recreate the beats of the musical. I mean, recreate the beats of the movie and then and then King Kong then becomes an actual real ape. And so the line between like fantasy and reality were kind of blurry and I don't know to what end. There's great ideas in the play, but they were mm-hmm. not executed wisely. Like the even just those native yoga moms, they were trying to make a point, but it was mm-hmm. very in your face in a very not interesting way. I think the show thought it was way smarter than it actually was. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't appreciate there's a coda and where the actors basically tell you, so this is what you learned from the show, which there's something that I cannot stand about art and it's didacticism. Mm-hmm. So the show could have ended on like a really perfect note because there's a moment of brilliance when the beast is shown on television screens and he becomes this cubist figure rather than obviously for budgetary reasons like they can't they do can't. the Broadway puppet. <laughs> yeah. So they invent There's no giant puppet here. So they invent this version of King Kong made completely out of television screens, which I mm. thought was much more compelling than anything in that Broadway puppet. But then they go and they, they're like, oh, see how smart we are. Let's explain to you why we're smart. And that's when the show lost me. I think it was just, it was good. It was good intentions that, that, that were executed inelegantly. It was just like, look at all these terrible white people. The thing is, it takes for granted, like, oh, these people were racist, and so therefore they must, of course they would have made this racist play, I mean, this racist movie, but no, there was a mentality behind it, and there was a world, and there was a worldview that still exists to this day, and we should talk about it, instead of just taking for granted that, oh, like, look at how racist these people are, yes, and why? A little bit more character development is awesome because if you're going to have a bunch of white people come see your show about racism, you can't give them, I don't think you can't give them an out and say, Oh, I would have never. It's like, no, I see myself and I need to figure it. It's like, they should be able to see themselves in those characters and they should be able to realize how they too have perpetuated the cycle of, you know, appropriation and colonialism. 
So this is two out of two, no Kongs for us. Yeah, except I would prefer I, I would see this one King Kong again. So as opposed to the other King Kong, at least this one killed everybody. So that's nice. Yeah, I wouldn't go to either of them again, but I would give a slight edge to this one because it's certainly much more imaginative than the mm-hmm. other one. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, but if you want to do a King Kong double feature, the making of King Kong is running until December 15th and tickets are only $20. You know, for $20, you get a lot. Like, they, there was some pretty amazing production values and creativity. So go to, go get thee to Brooklyn. Okay. So you want to intro Tully, Leong? Which show are we picking? Oh. Oh, I thought we were... Uh, we're going to see King Kong again. No. Okay, I'm, I'm seeing King Kong again. I I'm would... seeing the making of King Kong again. Okay, have fun. Meanwhile, while you go back to Skull Island, I'll be with all the Dubliners at James Joyce's The Dead 1904. Okay, have that's, some whiskey for me. That's my choice. Mm. Next up, we sat down with Telly Leong and talked about his role in Aladdin... And his cover of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, as well as how he got started in theater and what he wishes for the theater industry. So let's go listen to that. Mm-hmm. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I don't need to hang my stocking there upon the fireplace. Santa Claus won't make me happy with the toy on Christmas Day. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true, baby, all I want for Christmas is you. And we're here with Telly Leo. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Guys, I'm glad to be here. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. I love how festive you made (laughs) the room today. I love it. We did it just for you. (laughs) She told her ahead of time to, you know. I know. I recorded it in my reds and greens. I know. But congratulations on doing Aladdin. Thank you. Wrapping it up. Yeah, I, I've had an amazing time. And it's mm-hmm. it's my, you know, it's my, like, 12-year-old dream come true to, like, be a Disney prince on Broadway. Do you know? <laughs> so it's, I mean, not only do you get to be a leading man on Broadway, but then you get mm-hmm. to bring to life this character that you fell in love with as a kid. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of a, a magical experience. And um, and I've had a really, really good time yeah. at the New Amsterdam Theater. And I'm, and I'm still there. I'm still there until February 17th is my last show. So if you haven't come to see Aladdin yet, swing on by. Come down and see us in Agrabah. Yeah. It's warmer there than it is in New York today, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's freezing in New York today. No, we, we recently just saw you in the show, and I oh. joked afterwards, like, Aladdin. It's more like abs Aladdin. <laughs> it's like... We show a lot of skin in Agrabah, for sure. It is the desert, so it's dramaturgically correct that we are showing that much skin, for sure. But yeah, but we're, um, but you know, that show keeps you very fit. You know, Casey mm-hmm. Law, that choreography is, um, it's really incredible, and it's so fun to dance every night. I mean, we're doing everything from, you know, traditional Broadway style theater dance to tap dancing mm-hmm. to, to, um, to, 
ballroom dancing. You know, so there's yeah. everything in that show, and it's all sort of influenced by Bollywood and a little bit by by um, by dances from the Middle East as well. And so it's um, it's a really cool kind of a fusion. And that, trust me, doing that show eight times a week keeps you in ad lab and shape. <laughs> <laughs> And he also got me in the Christmas mood with your cover of Mariah's. Oh my gosh, thank you. Because that's also, I would think, like, you know, like, a young boy's, like, dream, right? Well, yeah, I grew up as a 90s kid, you know, like, I I remember having my three-CD disc changer double cassette deck boombox that you got for Christmas, and and you would just, you know, because you couldn't afford to go and buy everything at Tower Records or at Sam Goody. I mean, mm-hmm. are there, like, record stores? Like, for all those out there who remember the record stores, right? But, like... there's, like, a little thing that you put... Yeah. <laughs> so you would, like, tape songs off the radio. Yeah. Especially, oh, like, you would, like, yes. just, like... If you heard something on the radio, you'd catch, like... And now, Mariah's new... And then you go, oh, and you'd oh, yeah. run to the radio and you'd, like, tape it. To yes, it, right? yeah. And so Mariah was definitely one of those artists when she came up in the 90s. You know, I was, I was in middle school, and, like, that was... Mm-hmm. That was a big musical influence on me. And so... Um, there were many reasons why we decided to do the cover. You know, the main reason is that we, we really wanted to put the, put the single out there for digital download and for streaming so that um, it could raise money for ASTEP, which is Artists Striving to End Poverty, an incredible organization that was started by um, some Juilliard students as well as Mary Mitchell Campbell that seeks to bring arts to underserved communities. And the idea behind that is, you know, that the arts, I know that for all of us who love the arts, that we can, we can pinpoint a moment in our lives when the arts kind of saved us and mm-hmm. saved our lives and showed us what was possible. And in those underserved communities, sometimes they don't have that. So the idea is to bring arts to them so that they so that it opens up a whole new world of possibilities <laughs> for them to kind of to kind of go, oh right, like, you know, there's possibility here and there's possibility there. And the, the goal is to kind of break that cycle of, of poverty. We also love Mariah and I love, we love Mariah, we love the holidays. We want to play a little game with you that we're calling. Uh, uh-oh. And you have a prize. Oh, okay, great. Okay. Yeah. A little game we're calling Have Yourself a Very Mariah Christmas. Okay. So I'm going to read you some lyrics, and you have to tell me if they're a Mariah Carey song or a Christmas song. Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay. okay. So uh, I'm going to do three questions, Uh-oh. and if you get two out of three, you're a winner. Yay! Okay, good. And we're going to start off with a pretty easy one. I okay. Think. So... Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> Boy, I, I'm already laughing. Boy, I want to know. Lying that you're sexing me. When everybody knows, it's clear that you're upset with me. That is for sure a Mariah lyric. It would be kind of creepy as a Christmas lyric, right? Like, so I'm going to say Mariah for sure. Yeah. Final answer. Yeah. You are correct. Yay. Good. Do you think? Awesome. And I grew up poor, and so being... And, and so I, I always found the arts, you know, very... Like something that I couldn't participate in because yeah. like like you don't see yourself and it's like how do you make money doing this? Yeah. And so for you, what was your journey into this very competitive field? Well, it's interesting. I I feel like I stumbled into it. You know, I went to a math and science high school high school in New York City. It's called Stuyvesant High School. I mean, it's a public school. You have to test to get in. So it's like a school full of brainiacs. And really, I started doing theater as an escape, you know, I was like, God, one side of my brain is really being stimulated by physics and biology and calculus. And I was mm-hmm. like, I, I was hungry for the other side to get stimulated. And it was also where I found friends. Theater was where I found was the fun hang, right? Yeah. And, 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 um, and so I, I started doing theater in high school. And when it came time to apply to colleges, I said, gosh, do I really want to like, do I really want to be a doctor? I don't. I was like, well, I wake up every morning and all I think about is going to rehearsals for my high school musical. That's mm-hmm. all I want to do and go to, go to chorus. 
and go to band class and go to acting class. You know, so I, I quickly discovered being in that hyper competitive math science environment that I didn't fit. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanted to find a place where I fit. And I think that's kind of how I journeyed into theater. And, um, and really now it's so weird looking back on it, I go, gosh, like, the hang. Like, it's all about the hang, right? And I even look back on it now, like, why am I... You know, being on Broadway's hard. You know, being on Broadway's hard and getting to Broadway's hard and getting to Broadway again and again is hard, right? That's just the truth of it. And you kind of go, why do I keep doing it? I go, the people. Like, there is nothing like being surrounded by theater people and theater artists, even when you're not working. You know, even when you're not working and you've gone to that audition and you've bombed it, you know, and, and in this very building at you know, Ripley Greer, when you've had a crappy audition, you can call one of your friends and go, I just had a really crappy audition. And they get it. And that community is there to bolster you in the good and the bad times. So Aladdin's based on the Disney movie. Yeah. And then this season also you're going to get to do like the reverse. Like you're going to get to see yourself on screen in Allegiant. Yeah. It's, how is that experience? Like, is it surreal to be? Because like, I'm like... I'm so excited to be seeing Telly perform, but you've never had that chance. I mean, you know, my first exposure to musicals was not Broadway. You know, growing was not, you know, even though I grew up in New York City and Broadway was only a 40-minute train ride away from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, where I grew up, like, uh, my parents are immigrant parents. They're blue-collar immigrant parents. My mom was a seamstress. My dad worked in restaurants. They knew nothing about Broadway, nor could they afford to take me to a Broadway show, right? My first exposure to Broadway was Into the Woods on PBS, watching it on TV, and I didn't, I didn't know that that's what that was called. I didn't know that it happened on Broadway. I didn't know that, that that's what a musical was. I didn't know who Stephen Sondheim was. Do you know what I mean? And I just knew that I loved watching this thing happen, this live performance happen. And so, you know, thank God. Thank God for, for, for recorded, you know, televised and productions of Broadway. Otherwise, I would have never been exposed to that. So now that I'm in, you know, not just Allegiance, but I'm also in that rent final the, the film live on Broadway to know that that lives forever and there will be generations of people you know I still get people going at the Aladdin stage door you're the guy in the green hat in Rent or you're honest living <laughs> you're honest living in Rent and people are like even though Allegiance only ran for four months on Broadway you know now Fathom Events this is this is I can't even remember how many encore presentations they've done of this since the show has closed in 2016 mm-hmm. you know Fathom Events has decided to replay it and do an encore presentation every year right around Pearl Harbor Day because of the historical significance of that as it relates to the Japanese American internment and allegiance. And so um, at the stage door at Aladdin, still today, even though the show has been closed for two years, people still say, I loved you in allegiance. And it's because Fathom has found a way to take Broadway, this thing that only happens in our small little campus here in New York <laughs> City, and they're bringing it to your local movie theater for one night only. Mm-hmm. And it, so it feels... It still feels like an event. It still feels like we're all like, like we're all going to curtain at seven thirty. But it, but it, but we're doing it all around the country in like hundreds and hundreds of theaters at the same time. I mean, that's what's really cool about yeah. it. So, yeah. are you ready for your second question? Yes, I'm so excited. Okay, okay. Let's take the road before us and sing a chorus or two. Come on, it's lovely weather. Oh, this is a, a, a it's a Christmas Carol. Yes, correct. Yeah, I love it. Yay! That is not Mariah. For sure. No. <laughs> if there was, you know, you found a lamb and a genie comes out. Oh, gosh. And you get to ask three wishes for the theater industry. Oh. Maybe. That's a really, really good question. Wish number one would be for, and, and I know many of them in New York City, 
for some for for some amazing composer and lyricist team that has been struggling and plugging away in New York City to finally get their show produced, and that it has really original and exciting parts for actors, and it's also telling a story we've not heard. I think that's wish. That's for sure wish number one. Wish number two: more Broadway theaters. Because I know for a fact that when Allegiance was waiting for Broadway theater, we waited two years for a theater. Yeah. Just yeah. because there are so many shows, there's more shows than there are theaters mm-hmm. in New York, and so I would wish for there to be more Broadway theaters so that we get more opportunities. And my third wish, really, is um, it's besides giving those composers that haven't gotten the shot to really to really tell their story, is to have. Um, Performers, performers of color that haven't gotten their opportunity to do it. Do you mean like you know for sure my Asian brothers and sisters that are not re- represented as as heavily on Broadway and also you know like I'd love to see more Middle Eastern actors on Broadway. I'd love to see more Native American actors on Broadway. I'd love to see Alaskan you know actors. I, I just love to see kind of um, the theater represent the diversity of the world. You're the rare Asian American I've seen who have been a leading man. Multiple times, like you and Jose Lana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, maybe Daniel Day came some, sometimes when you want to yeah. <laughs> come over. But I talked to so many actors of color, and they and they talk about like they're always playing supporting roles. And so when it comes to being a leading man, like there there's very little experience, so you don't know how to occupy that space when, yes. when you get the opportunity. So what advice do you have? For, pe- for people of color who haven't been center stage, and how do you... Yeah, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I ever sought to be a leading man. Mm-hmm. I think I just, and the real honest truth is, as an actor in New York City, I just, I just, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I never sought to be a leading man. I just sought to keep working, mm-hmm. right? Like, really, that's what it was. And, every, and if, if an opportunity presented itself to me, you know, like for example, I, I really allegiance was my first time really being a leading man. That's that's what was called for in the script. Those were my duties in the script. That's it. That is how I will serve this play. And as an actor and as a performer, that's the first thing I look at. I go, what is my purpose? What is my purpose in this play as this character? Right, I'm the leading man. I'm the comic relief. I'm the you know, I mean, I'm I'm the character that dies that breaks your heart. AKA Angel. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? So, like, that might not be the lead, but might be a supporting character. And you kind of go, okay, like, what is my purpose? And how do I serve this? How do I serve the play? And I think if you kind of always lead with that, you know, sometimes those roles are supporting roles. Sometimes those roles are ensemble roles. So sometimes those roles are leading roles. And you kind of just have to, die, you have to look at it that way. Um, and I think that's kind of my key into it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because. Uh, you know, I, I love I love when people think, well, wow, what are you going to pick as your next project? And I go, guess what? Actors, unless you're Meryl Streep or Julia Roberts or Harrison Ford, like you're not, you know what I mean? Like you're not picking your projects. You kind of, you kind of auditioning is your job and you go and you audition for everything and you go, yeah. okay, that gig hired me. I guess my next role is blank. Do you know what I mean? Like I went from being a leading man in Allegiance to being in a very ensemble show like In Transit where we were all, we, I mean, th- that show could not exist. There was no lead in that show. That was 11 people singing in harmony for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And everybody everybody pulling their weight. And a true ensemble effort. And so um, that was the next job. And I love doing that. I love, you know, and, and I don't really prefer one to the other. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've had a really great experience being a leading man in Allegiance and in Aladdin. That's been really great to lead a company in that way. But I've also really relished those opportunities where I get to be part of something 
part of a whole that is that that is greater because we're all so strong in it. You know, Godspell, Rent, and Transit. Those ensemble shows mean a lot to me. Um, they mean just as much to me as being a lead in a show. You are already a winner, but if you want to go for a perfect score, okay, okay, yeah, great. One more question. Okay, great. Overachieve. That's right. <laughs> you can find love if you search within yourself, and the emptiness you felt will disappear. Oh yeah, and then a hero comes along. I know this song. I know this tune. That's Mariah. But it's almost like a Christmas. Song. I like that. It's also has, it has Christmas sentiments, so a little bit of a tricky one. But yes. That's a Mariah. That's a Mariah standard. Oh, oh you're a winner. We have a we have a a stocking. Yeah, oh, a hat. A hat stocking. Brilliant. Yes. Oh my it's, gosh. It's plain. Oh, that's the best. That's the best gift. I love that. Thank you so much. I want to see what's in here. <gasps> Cost of living. Yeah, won a Pulitzer. Oh my gosh, amazing. How I learned to drive. Awesome. Paul Vogel. Oh my god, these are. I like lucked out. These are amazing. <laughs> the humans, which I loved on, on Broadway, that was good. And sweat. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to dig yes. into these. These are coming with me when I take my vacation from Aladdin after I leave on February 17th and I find a beach because New York City is cold. <laughs> I will take I will take these to the beach with me and, and dive in. That's awesome. Thank you. What's your next project after Aladdin? I have a whole bunch of concert gigs coming, so oh. um, so I'm definitely gonna have some West Coast concert gigs lined up. Um, I know I'm in I'm, I'm near I'm in the San Francisco area. I'm gonna be in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm gonna be in San Diego. So you can check out www.tellyleon.com for those dates when they get released. Um, and I'm also doing a really fun symphony gig out in Memphis as well in April, um, which will be really, really fun with one of my favorite conductors, Bob Moody. He's out at the Memphis Symphony. We're doing a really fun um, evening of Beethoven and the Beatles. So I won't be handling any of the Beethoven stuff. I'll be handling all the Beatles stuff. But um, but it's, I think it's going to be a really, really great time and something super interesting and, and totally out there. And I've never been to Memphis, so I'm really excited. I've never been to, you know, Tennessee at all, so like, I'm yeah. really excited to yeah, visit. eat. Uh, absolutely. Like, that, that was, like, the biggest incentive <laughs> to go down there. So, um, and again, people can check out those dates on my website. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, I'm excited for that and, and to read some plays on a beach. Like, I'm really excited for that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shelly. Um, Thank you. I'm going to cross my fingers for Mariah Mozart next. Oh, Mariah Mozart. Done. Done. I'm going to pitch it. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Jose, what do you want for Christmas, theater-wise? Well, it's funny that you ask, because for our 11 o'clock number, we're going to be talking about a theater Christmas wish list. <laughs> of, like, things we want or things that people should get Both. other people? Both. Like, all the things that I'm going to discuss in our wish list are things that I own and that I think people would enjoy having. Mm-hmm. Like theater lovers, you know, there's no shortage of great theater-related products out there mm -hmm. at the moment. So one of the things that I would like to start talking about is the uh, Be More Chill vinyl, which is this incredible, luxurious set 
with the original cast recording on two long plays. And the art is so beautiful. The discs are green vinyl. And it's just like, you know, what else can you ask for to get you in the mood for the holidays? And just like singing along and dancing to Joe Iconis' wonderful, wonderful score. Yeah. But what happens if you don't have an LP? Well, we have more options for people. Options. Uh, one of my recommendations is if you in if you're like me and you're too lazy to leave your apartment because it's cold, but you still love the theater, then I recommend like you give some you get or you give someone a Broadway HD membership. And oh, by the way, we're not getting. We don't get money from anything that we endorse. So it's just things that we love and that you should check out too. Although if you want to give us money to endorse you, our ears are open. Exactly. Uh, in Email us at tokentheaterfriends at gmail.com. Uh, so on Broadway HD, they basically, they've, they film shows on Broadway and off Broadway and on the West End. And you can stream them from the comforts of your own home. Then... On Broadway HD right now, you can watch such things as Falsettos on Broadway, She Loves Me on Broadway, uh, Les Mis, the 20th Anniversary Concert Edition, or Anne, the play starring Holland Taylor about the first female governor of Texas. Oh my God, options, and also Cats. Yeah, um, okay, if you want to watch Cats from your home, that's fine. Like I'm not Cats? Oh, the Broadway show. Yeah, the Broadway show. I was like, what? It's like, uh, I'm not judging. It's fine. So many options. If you're lazy, go do that. Next up on my list would be The Great Parade, Broadway's astonishing, never-to-be-forgotten 1963 to 1964 season, which I think is one of the greatest books on theater history that I have ever read. It's written by Peter Felicia. Uh, it's written by Peter Felicia, who I always call like the human theater encyclopedia. If you've ever listened to Peter on his podcast on Broadway radio, you already know how smart, how funny, and how clever he is. And that translates to his writing. This book is filled with incredible anecdotes like you're gonna learn how barbara streisand and carol channing were going head to head for the tony that season for funny girl and for hello dolly and it's full of all this little anecdotes and stories and just like fun theater gossip that makes you you know like even if you know how the tony year that season ended peter felicia is such a good writer that he's gonna keep you in suspense all throughout so that book is amazing, and it's available both on hardcover and Kindle. So if you have theater lovers in your life, or if you want people, or if you are looking for good theater presents for yourself, those are those are our recommendations. Have a happy holidays! Thank you all for listening. You know, stay safe, stay warm, stay sober, or not, whatever floats your boat, and. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Token Theater Friends on iTunes and wherever you get podcasts. And if you like to watch us interview people, you can do that on YouTube, on the Token Theater Friends YouTube channel. And and we have an we have a Broadway Con announcement. What is it, Jose? Journey 12 at 3 p.m. Token Theater Friends Live with special guests Diana O oh and Max Vernon. So we hope to see you there. 
Yes, we will have games and gossip and giveaways and just, yeah, theater lovers just talking about theater in front of an audience, which I don't know why we thought this would be a good idea, but you know, it will be fun. That's what Broadway kind of is. People talk about theater in front of people, so it's a great idea. So it'll be down (laughs) on our own panel, so be there. Yes, be there, say hi. And anything else you want to say to people? Have a very Merry Christmas. Yeah, and Happy Holidays. And theater's more fun when you take a friend. Bye. Bye.